Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is the usual, the huge now, Jeff Clossy. Hey Jay, how's it going? It's going great. Great. I think I'm lying. It's it? going all right. It's going okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm realized... gl- I am glad to be here with you. Yeah. Well, then that, that part's great. Um, you know what else is great? Sunday night, we had the Christmas program, and that was a delight. I was just thinking the word delightful. So we're was, on the same page. It was are. awesome. We're in, we're in lockstep. This oh my, morning. it was, it was Finally. so fun. And not only fun to like be there and watch the, the program part of it. Right. But then the hanging out and celebrating afterwards was such a joy as well. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite part about the Christmas program always is watching the choir mm-hmm. because the choir has kids from like very little all the way <laughs> And they, you just never know what's going to happen. You just have no idea. They don't care um, what anybody thinks about what they're doing up there. I would say that this one was pretty, pretty professional. Like the the little ones this time did a really good job, but um, which is almost disappointing to me. I kind of like it when there's chaos. yeah, there was no pushing really or anything. And, no pushing. Uh, no everyone a, stayed on the risers. Yeah, no <laughs> attempt at four year old kisses. You know, like yeah. no, nothing. Um, there was, yeah, everyone kind of stayed. There were, you know, a few people escaped, but um, but by and large, facial expressions were still as delightful as always. Yes. So, Love and, those so much. Yeah. It's just fun. I mean, it's one of those things, man. It's like a throwback to, you know, you think about the, the best Christmas pageant ever. Isn't that what the name of that book was? I don't know. You I don't, don't know, know that book? book? No. There, oh, man. Lauren is always talking about that. I think it's that book. She's going to, if she hears this, who am I kidding? She doesn't listen to this podcast. She, did. <laughs> she doesn't know what's going on. Lauren, you should fast forward to three minutes and 20 seconds yeah. and hear that part. It only feels like it's been three minutes and 20 <laughs> seconds, actually, and two. So, uh, um, but yeah, that, there's that, just the ensuing chaos that can happen in Christmas programs. And every year these kids pull it off and it's awesome. So it was really fun. It Were you really ever fun. in a Christmas program? I was. Yeah. I was, definitely. Were you a star? Or uh, you I don't remember. I don't remember a whole lot about it other than than doing it, you know, but Grace Reformed Church, that's where I remember doing that. I was pretty young and I don't remember much about it, but I, what I love about ours is, so, you know, we've been talking about it on Sunday mornings and saying everyone is invited, not just if you have kids in it, right? Right. And I was so encouraged by the diversity of the group that was there to support and to celebrate and to be part of it. It was just awesome. I really loved it. There was there was a great turnout. I I was super encouraged by the turnout that we had. Um, when I pulled up to the parking lot and it was so full, and then I pulled around the building, expecting like oh, I'll just pull up right next to the side of the building, and I couldn't. Like I had to go, I had to go way back to to find a parking spot. So yeah, it was a full house. Yeah, that was. And people did an amazing job. Like all the behind the scenes volunteers too. You know, like the cookies that were made and the organizing that happened. It was all just really neat. Yeah. Well, and that's good. It's good that it made up for Sunday morning and the the sermon and the worship. I mean, the time of worship was great, but uh, yeah. I told you not to mention all my comments on air. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jeff comes in with a whole list. You had a whole list of notes. Yeah, they're and, my, my, they're not true, critical, as I'm sure everyone listening knows. Yeah, and in true Jeff uh, fashion, he's like, I thought we could talk about this. I thought we could talk about this a little bit more, which is code for, uh, I think you need a second crack at this thing, and I think you need... <laughs> I think you need to re-explain this, but um, I have even, a list. Yeah, I know. Well, first on that list, I need to. I'm going to clarify this. I I got a comment about um, I I said an off the cuff line, which usually gets me in trouble, or it doesn't always, but sometimes, where I was talking about hindrances to sharing the gospel, and I said that um, that I kind of went off script, and I was just you know, which happens a lot. That's not abnormal. But I was talking about how a hindrance for different different types of people in different age groups and different life stages. And for teenagers, I was talking about the hindrance of what other people think um, and, and how that is just a common experience for any of us who were teenagers at one point, um, which I'm assuming most of our listeners were teenagers at one point. Mm-hmm. And, Good assumption. Um, we're not real big with the six-year-old crowd yet, although we're working on that. <laughs> so, but at that that I, I asked, like, so like how many of you were hindered by what other people thought of you, you know, when you were a teenager and only like four people raised their hand. And so I was like, well, the rest of you are liars. And then I thought, and then in the moment I thought, or homeschoolers. And, you know, if people don't know me, my family has done like all the things basically, like we homeschooled for several years. Um, currently we have mix, like a couple of my kids go to public school. One of my kids is still homeschooled. Um, so we, we have done all the things and I just, it's a funny, like among homeschool families, it's a common thing to just like that our kids, um, that their peers and peer pressure looks very different in homeschool circles than it does in public school circles. And so I just made that comment. It was not meant to be a dig or at anybody or for anything. It was just, it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be funny. So at worst, at worst, the worst thing you should take away from that is that I'm not funny. <laughs> that, was, that should be the most If thing. only I had like the sound effects right now to add the drum and then the cymbal to yes. it. I don't think that's. I think that'd be great. No, I no. need a button for Glad that. You Can don't. I get a button? Nope. No, oh, you definitely can't. I, I that's, how that's how you're going to use it. We're not like a wacky morning drive talk show. <laughs> I think like, we should add that in. All right, I'm talking to Jeff Bauer yeah. about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for clarifying that, Jay. <laughs> Is it that I didn't know that you went off the cuff when you were preaching. That's good to know too. I took note of that. <laughs> I feel face. like that's sarcasm. Jay's face right now is. Well, Lovely. I think it's your attempt at sarcasm. So yes, <laughs> yes, everybody knows that I go, yeah, that I can go rogue or whatever. But that's part of my style, and not everybody has that same style. That's a different, like different people do things differently. So anyway. I did that. The larger point that you were talking about there, can we talk about that? Sure, that'd, that'd be just, awesome. Let's transition out of that so awkward. The apology. the part that wasn't be cut. the part that was on your script. Yes, I think about. Now, maybe this was a different part of your outline, but I'm going to my outline now that oftentimes the obstacles to the gospel are almost always in the gospels. They are not just the random person um, out there. They are they are religious people. Oh, yes. And you were talking about at one point that our temptation when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, the, the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom is that. It's not making it, at least in our church, it's not making it palatable for the world, but 
palatable and acceptable for religious people. And I, I just took, that was a main point that I took out of it at least. And I wanted to bring us back there to talk a little bit more about that. Like, what did you mean? Yeah. And then maybe we can get at some specifics. Yeah, that's, I think that's a, I, that's another thing I'd like to clarify. This is, this is clarifying, this is the clarifying podcast. So it's really amazing that I don't have to end up clarifying more than people assume that every word I say is like number one, that I perfectly thought it out, that I anticipated how any, everyone would take it, and that I would even communicate it perfectly if I had the perfect thing to say it's there's there's a lot of factors that go into that and so it's not uncommon for something to be said that afterward is if somebody asks me a clarifying question I think oh I didn't I didn't think about saying it from that angle yeah I could see why you might take it that way but then there are times where I say something that afterwards I'm thinking oh I I feel like I should have said that differently and and one of those was when I said when I was talking about that the temptation isn't so much um, what the world, like saying, preaching a gospel that the world would find acceptable, but reli- what, what religious people would find acceptable. And so two things about that. One is I'm not saying that it's not a temptation to preach a gospel that the world finds acceptable. That is clearly a temptation in the world. We see that in the church. We see um, churches compromising the gospel or trying to communicate it in a way that appeases the world and and makes sense to the world. We've addressed that many many times, you know, in the, in the preaching of this church and in other areas, where we would say if you're preaching a gospel that makes sense to the non-believer, then it's not the gospel because the Bible is clear that it doesn't it it doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. It's it's um it can be offensive. It is. Um, it, it's something that only spiritual, you have to have spiritual ears to hear. And so that's why we talk about, unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, we, we won't see it. So we talk about that a a lot, but there is this other side that we think is not an issue that I think is often a bigger issue, especially for churches that teach the Bible and believe in the authoritative, in, in the authoritative word, which we do. We believe that the scriptures are authoritative. They're God's word inspired and authoritative. And so in that circle, the temptation is often to to preach a gospel that is acceptable um, by religious people, which the parallel there is what we see in the early church and how Paul is often fighting against that, that the the influence, all the pressure that's coming in there, it's not it's not from the world. The world is not that's not who's influencing the gospel in there. It is it is religious people who are trying to attach other things to the gospel of Christ, to the cross. They're trying to attach works of the law and saying, well, yes, you're we're made righteous by the cross, but also this. And and whether it's circumcision or obeying the Sabbath or any of the things that people would add to it. And I I was just making the point that that is still the case today, that it's not circumcision or necessarily the Sabbath, um, but we've created, we, we, we tend to um, be tempted to preach a gospel that would be acceptable, and there's a temptation among pastors to preach a gospel that is acceptable to modern the modern-day Pharisee, basically, the modern-day religious person who is still going to find their righteousness in their works, um, 
or in right beliefs or anything like that. And so we attach things to the gospel. So yes, you're saved by Christ, but you also need to believe these three things, these three doctrinal points, or you need to vote in this particular way, or you need to have these particular values, or you need to, you know, whatever the case is, like adding these things on there, it's the same it's the same narrative as before. It just is different. It's different things that get added on. And they're always added on by people who don't actually understand the gospel of grace. So, And the dangerous thing, too, is that I think sometimes people don't even realize they've added it on. And you know what no. I mean? Like sometimes right. it's not a, let me sit down and write out, here's the gospel, and now I'm going to add some extra things. It, it doesn't always, you know, I think rarely works that way. It, it's more of a functional thing that it becomes an equivalent. I mean, the gospel is changed by either taking things away from it or adding to it. And I know my years on campus, the temptation for people was to take things out, out of the gospel, to remove things from it that would make it less <coughs> judgmental, less harsh, like that there's, a, there's actual sin in the world, for example. That's a removing from the gospel to take that out um, if you said there, there wasn't sin. But you're right. There's, it's so easy to suddenly realize that we've added something to what is absolutely essential. Because that's what we're talking about. When we talk the gospel, we're talking about what is crucial, what is of the utmost importance. And it's Christ and him crucified and the resurrection and our salvation through his work. And it's, it's scary in some ways, I think, that we could so easily add to that. And sometimes our additions feel very authoritative as if they are the word of God, but what they are is interpretations of the word of God. And I think that's a really important point as well. Right. And, and the pressure comes in. It's, it's like this pressure from a, a sect of Christianity that presents themselves as the only people who truly care about God's word and truly care about any of this. And so we get caught in this trap that the more, um, you know, the, the more conservative you are, the more literal you are, the, the more you, the, the more faithful you are. And that's, that's no different than in Paul's day, um, because it's important to remember that it wasn't just the Pharisees. They're the ones that get caught mo- mentioned the most, but the Sadducees were also influencing all of that. And the Sadducees were the ones who were removing from the from the gospel. They were the ones in Judaism that wanted to make it mesh with the world. And the Pharisees were the ones who were separated. They were the ones who believed in like, no, we need to keep this way pure. Well, they're the ones that caused the most trouble in the early church because they were seen as holy. It was easy, I think, for people to look at the Sadducees and say, well, you guys are sellouts. Like you're trying to, you're trying to mesh this with the world. And that, that was not a difficult thing. Um, it wasn't some, like in some Greek circles, like in the church in Corinth, there was definitely that you, you see some examples of that, but predominantly the biggest threat to the gospel were the, were um, the religious people. And the reason why they were such a threat is because they were seen as holy. They were seen as mature. And that's where the pressure comes. And so then when when somebody is seen as um, as holy because of these really uh, religious stances that they take, then they have an influence among people. And that's what you see as Paul is preaching the gospel. People come to faith he leaves, he writes letters back because now other people have come into that and have started creating a feeling of 
um, distrust of the gospel and um, they add things to it and and people believe it because they look at that person and that person is is holy like that person lives this certain life and they present themselves as a person who knows and is holy and so then that's very confusing for the believers who are left behind because they're like well you know Joe over here he's like I mean nobody nobody's more righteous than Joe like nobody knows God's word better than Joe, well, then he must be right that all these things are true and not realizing that it's actually a false gospel because things are being added to it. And so that's where the temptation. So then there's a pressure that comes in. There's a bullying that comes in um, of like a threat to be called. You know, you, you throw names and you see it right now, like with, you know, when we've been called, I mean, I've been called names um, and, and like, that's kind of this bullying thing of like, if you don't, if you don't teach what we are telling you to teach, then we're going to throw these labels on you. that are going to make people distrust you. Um, and you know, it's still, it's still there. And, and I'm not alone in that. Like that's, that's a very common thing right now for pastors, um, who regularly preach and teach is the, the pressure that is coming from, um, these religious groups that insist on, adding things to the gospel. Yeah. We're in a unique time for that as well. Just with, with everything that's happened the right. last few years, um, it, around the world, not just yeah. here, it just makes us even more susceptible, I think, to feeling like actually this is the gospel. It's this, it's Jesus plus this, it's Jesus plus anything else. Right. And there are people who are very good at spinning a tail to make it seem like those are equivalent things. Right. It's not always so stark. And anyways, I appreciated that reminder and how you tied that in on Sunday. That's why I wrote it down. It actually wasn't so that you could say it more clearly, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> but I did appreciate it. You're, I just was <laughs> laughing because you were doing the Robbie thing of like, oh, I have my, when you said my outline. Uh-huh. Like, well, this isn't on your outline, is my outline, which always made me, I always thought like Robbie's feedback was often like, well, if you would have preached this correctly, this is what your outline would have been. <laughs> Which is not Robbie's Maybe personality. Maybe front load this one next time. Yeah, it's not Robbie's personality at all, but it just always makes me makes me laugh in that. So, so yeah. So I'm glad I could clarify that and now get a second a second crack at it. But I think that it's important to know that if we are preaching the gospel, that the gospel pushes against all of us. Like that's that's part of too what I wanted to get across is it's not like and I hope that that did come across is that I wasn't primarily when I when I'm talking about that appeasing religiousness or religiosity I'm not even primarily talking about people who are doing that I'm talking about us like our own bent we all do this with things we all think like well but if you're a real Christian then you'd really value this and it always happens to be the things that we most value are the things that are most natural for us and so for some people it's a commitment to um, serving the poor, which by all means, if we love Jesus, we will serve the poor. But there are people who will turn that into a level of righteousness, of, um, of works righteousness. And that like, well, I'm a, I'm a better Christian and we need to make sure that we're always pushing that of like serving the poor. Well, like I said, if we are following Jesus, we will serve the poor. But serving the poor is not where our righteousness is or with racial reconciliation, or with any kind of um, morality, or in you know any of these things, ultimately, 
the reason why it's easy to spin it is because people will isolate it and say, well, what's wrong with this thing? Like, isn't this thing important? Look at all the places in the Bible where this talks about it being important. Say, yes, it is. But understand where that comes from. It's the fruit of the life of a person who has identified in the death of Jesus Christ, who has died with Christ and been raised to walk in newness of life with him. And that then, all those times where it's talking about that, it's talking about of these different things, it's saying this is what the kingdom is like. And we are citizens of a kingdom. We are learning to walk in that identity. And so we should exhort one another daily, like as long as it's called today, we should exhort one another to live in that identity, to walk in that. But it is a it is an important distinction to say that even though that is what we are called to walk in, it is out of um, our being changed by Christ. It is not the thing that makes us right with God or makes us right or worthy of being saved. That order is vital. Yeah. And when, whenever, whenever we get that order wrong is when we start to attach it to our identity too, right? Because then that's who right. we are. And that's when it gets even more twisted because then we see ourselves and need to present ourselves as that person as well. And if you don't, like whatever thing you think is like, well, this is the identifying mark. If I, if I asked on Sunday morning, what do you think the identifying mark is of a Christian? Like, what do you think is a non-negotiable? Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, then it, this will be evident in your life. My guess is we would get dozens, if not a hundred different answers. And my guess also is that of those dozens or hundreds of different answers, that all of them would be biblically defendable as something that is a a biblical thing of like, yes, you should be in that, you know, you should be more kind. You should care about the poor. You should, um, you know, care about these things. You should demonstrate this with your life. And, but the issue then is like what happens, what we tend to do is we tend to take those things, whatever pops into your head when I say, well, Christians should be identified by this. Um, and, you know, you could always pull out the trump card and say, well, Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said you'd be defined, you know, and, and it's pretty clear, like, by how you love one another. But what does that mean? Loving one another is a very complex thing. It's not, it like, if we said, if I if I ask the next question of, like, well, what is what defines that? Like, how do you know that you're loving towards somebody? What does that mean? And somebody's going to say, well, you speak truth to them. That's what loving is. And somebody's going to say, well, you don't you don't condone sin in their life. That's what loving is. And somebody's going to say, well, you serve them. That's what loving is. Or that you give to them. That's what loving is. That you accept them for who they are and where they are. That's what loving is. So, like, my point is, whatever the thing is, when you drill down and you say, okay, what does that look like? What happens is if you take those answers, like if I say, what is what what should it look like? Whatever two, three, four things you say, what we tend to do is we tend to build then a law around that. And so now what we mean when we say love others is that you accept them where they are. And so now that, accepting someone where they are, and by definition, what do I mean by accepting them where they are? And then whatever I fill in the blanks of what that means, I now have create I create a law around that. And anybody that doesn't do that is not a Christian, and anybody who does is. And and so we hold people to that. Also then conveniently leaving out all the things that aren't as big of a deal to us. 
So all those hundred other things that people said that are all biblical, we ignore half of those or three quarters of those, whatever doesn't come naturally to us. And we end up actually building a law. Uh, kind of, if you imagine like that being a box where you put in all these things that you say, this is what a Christian does. And then we create a religion out of that. And in our religion, this is how people behave. And that is exactly what the Pharisees did. Whether it was from a conservative bent or a liberal bent, whatever it was, it was you take the main thing and then you say, well, but this is what that looks like. So Jesus said, love God and love others. And there are so many people, and myself included, say, what's well, that simple? Like that's that's what you do. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. Okay, but what does that mean? How do you love God? Oh, well, you love God by, you know, worshiping him and reading the Bible and praying. And okay, well, what does that mean to read the Bible? Like how often? How many chapters? And then pretty soon being a disciple becomes reduced to having a daily quiet time. Yeah, and you end up confusing the authoritative word of God, which is very clear to love God and love others, right. with a particular application of it. Yes. And that's important not just for like for this conversation, but I think even when we are we're in conversations with people where we come to a place where they ask for our help or our advice, that the same level of care and caution that Jay is describing, I think I really appreciate how you're showing there's multiple layers to that. Um, when oftentimes when we're giving advice to somebody or helping them, we might start with a Bible verse that's very clear, like love God, love your neighbor. But then the application we give is a couple layers removed from that verse. It doesn't mean that that's bad advice to give. So we might say one way that you love your neighbor is to say hello to them, <laughs> to help them right. with their driveway when their you know, snowblower breaks, whatever. But that's an application of it, which I think is valid in that case, but it is not the same thing as the authoritative word. And we just need to be aware of that. I mean, it really, it's so easy to, to not realize that we have replaced what the word says with what our head says the word says. And right. that is dangerous. That's why we really need yes. each other because I, I really don't think, you know, for, for most of us, that's not happening intentionally. It's just a slow drift or we just don't even realize we're doing it. Like we're replacing what God said with what we say it means for you, you know, like applying it outwardly. Right. And that uh, you, you're so right. This is, and, and that's my aim in that was not to, is not to try to confuse people, but to just hopefully create some humility in us of just realizing we all do this. It is human nature to want to prove that we are worthy, to want to, we want to create a test that we can pass. And, you know, it would be, I've used this example before, but it would be like, um, it would, it would be like taking a class and then you get to, I remember I had an old Testament professor that let us write the test. So basically he had us, you write the test. And what he was determining was what did we think was most important? It was one thing for him to ask the questions he thought was most important, but he was curious to know, well, if you were testing somebody on this material, what do you think is most important? Well, here's the thing. The things I thought were most important were the things I knew the best. Like I, I shaped the test around what I knew because that's what I thought was important. 
And that's what we do. We shape, we, we all are tempted to do that. And so we need to be able to back off of that a little bit and say, okay, for example, the Bible speaks against debt. So we know, we know that debt is, um, is a dangerous thing. Well, how that gets applied, that, that's been applied in a lot of different ways. Like, do not be indebted to anyone except in love. So therefore, you shouldn't take out any kind of a loan. And now all of a sudden, like there's a whole culture that believes that to, to loan, to take out any money as a loan is sinful. Well, that is an example of drawing that line out further and further of saying like, okay, but what is it actually, what's it actually talking about? What is the root of that? Why would that be the case? And so is that really saying you can't take out a loan, like that you can't have a mortgage on a house in a culture that where housing is set up the way that we're set up or that you can't take out a student loan if you like need education on something, you know, you to create a law out of that is to either say, well, yeah, all debt is bad. And so therefore, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. Um, Or to say, no, debt isn't bad. That's not what that's talking about. And so I can go take a huge loan out on a car that I don't need like, or rack up credit card debt because I want to go to on vacation. Like the point is that we want to create a law and say like, well, how much debt is too much? Like if a debt's allowable, then in what ways? And so you'll see that start to be qualified. Like, well, it's okay as long as it's for mortgage or, you know, for an appreciating asset. Okay. What about education? Well, but education's an investment. So as long as it's an investment, okay. So I can rack up credit card debt so I can put money into a Roth IRA account. Like, you see my point? Like it just, it just keeps getting all, messed up. And, and that's because application is complicated. And when you confuse God's word, God's authoritative word with our, with your interpretation, which is one level. And then the next level is your application of your interpretation. You are so far removed from God's actual word that like, that's, this is where, this is where religiousness comes in. And then we try to preach a gospel and people are judging it against that religiousness that they have created, that box that they've created, which is why the Pharisees would say to Jesus, like challenge him on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, you don't even understand the Sabbath. Like you have no idea what the Sabbath is actually for. You just know the application that you have made about your interpretation about this thing that God has given you. Yeah, I think I think it was Luther who said because we cannot keep the law, the actual law, we make up our own law that we can keep. Yep. And I think that's pretty accurate. Like yep. that's what we do. It's like actually loving the way that Jesus calls us to love is something that none of us do perfectly. So we come up with ways of living, like your debt example is a great one. Well, I have to have a mortgage, but I don't have to have this debt in my situation. You know, whoever that is, whoever the my is. So I can obey that one. So that's an important law now because I, I obey it. Right. But if I couldn't obey it, it wouldn't be important. And that's just our human brokenness, taking the good things of God and, and making them into weapons um, that we use to divide and keep people out and keep people other. Which And so somebody might say, okay, well, then what's the answer to that? And this this is why we talk about the importance of listening to the Spirit, the importance of community, the importance of... Not like we just get this mindset that we think and and by not treating the Bible like a textbook or a book of law, because 
it is, it's meant to point us to Jesus. It is God's word. It is meant to lead us into communion with our Father, like that we would be able to commune with him and listen to him, hear his words, and speak them back to him and, and have this relationship. It is not a book that we are to master so that we then know how to, how to do everything right. That's not, that's not the point of it. And I think um, remembering that helps us handle the complexities of life, helps us to realize like, okay, I know what God's word says and I'm in this situation and I'm listening to the spirit and I'm listening and I'm, you know, picturing the life of Jesus. And that can help you figure out, okay, what am I, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond in these particular situations that we don't realize like how often, um, how often the answer does depend. Like how there are certainly things that are very clear, but even when you talk about something that's clear, like, well, obviously you're not supposed to murder. Look at how much nuance there is with, with that in our country and that we believe is rightful nuance, like self-defense, manslaughter, accidental homicide. Like there's all these different, there's all these different designations that it's not just as simple as like, well, in the government, you say, don't kill anybody. Okay. Well, what about soldiers? What about the police officer who's protecting somebody? What about like, there's all these different nuances and we understand that in the world that there's all these nuances, but we forget that that also exists in the Bible because obedience is obeying the Holy spirit. And, and there are times, and you look at how many times Jesus, how he acts differently in different situations, you would say, well, wait a second, but what are you supposed to say when you come upon this situation? And people always want to know that. Like, well, what do you say in this situation? Uh, well, it depends. I don't know. I don't know what the, what the spirit is doing in that person's life. And um, I, don't know what, I don't know what they need to hear in that moment. And we, we think that there's always a specific thing. And that's just not what we see in the life of Jesus. It's not what we see in Paul's letters um, at all. It's interesting, too. I was just thinking about how this conversation is coming. It's happening at the end of a year yeah. in this book. And I've, I know that you said it on Sunday that you enjoy, you've enjoyed it. I really have. And I've heard from so many who have just loved getting into this book and hearing about the early church. And then the point you made on Sunday was it's written in such a way, Acts is, that this is a continuation, you know, that we're, that we're involved in this. And I think that's why this conversation about how does this all actually play out and apply in the world is really important because this is continuing today. We continue to be his church in the world and his people and it is vitally important that we have before us and in our mind what it means to be his and what we are to be marked by and what is really important in following Jesus together. And you made that point too, the things that, that we want to see in the world, we need to also first see that in here, in, within his body, if we want to see them in the world. Um, so yeah, I, I was just thinking it. It is interesting how if you if you're listening to this right now to reread the last few sentences and just if it feels like Luke very intentionally wrote it as and the story continues. It does, and and I did want to make sure that that point was made of if we want to see revival out there, it starts in here, and I feel that way about the book of Acts, when we lament, if you read through the book of Acts and you lament like that, this isn't my experience in the church. Well, 
And our temptation often is to then, well, I'm going to find a different church. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes that's necessary. But I think first, the first question is, well, can I live that life here? Like, can I be a part of that change that's happening, you know, that I want to see uh, in the church here? And I do think that, um, I think that remembering that what happens in Acts, that is, that's what's available to us. We are the church. That is the start um, of the church. And my aim in all this, and my aim is not to make people feel unsettled. Like when we talk about all this, so I'm not trying to shake people's confidence in, certainly not trying to shake people's confidence in God's word. I'm trying to shake people's confidence in their own understanding and their own, like, I, I just want to shake. I, I, because that, I see Jesus do that. I see Paul do that. So I'm like, well, that feels like a pretty good thing to do is if I can make you turn and say, man, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent confident in my understanding about everything. I need the Holy spirit. I need, I'm not like, I'm not a hundred percent confident in my understanding of, of this passage. And so I need to read it more. I need to read it more. I need to pray more. I need to be more dependent on the spirit. I need to more humbly listen to brothers and sisters around me. Um, that is always going to push us in a good direction. The day that we, you know, like I think we would all think it's weird if somebody says, oh, I haven't, I haven't read the book of James in years because I, I finished it. I mastered it. Like we would all think like, that's weird. How could you possibly say that about God's word or about like, there's just no way. And yet we function that way. Actually, practically speaking, we function that way a lot. And I just want us to take a step back from that and to say, you know what? Yes, this is going to be messy, but I I trust the Spirit. I believe in what He's doing. I trust His Word. Um, I I I trust what God is doing. I trust the cross, like and and what Jesus did for me on the cross, and what He did, like me identifying with Him in His resurrection, and that's what I'm going to boast in. Which is what Paul says. You know, he says that he's going to boast in the cross. He's going to boast all the more gladly in his weaknesses because because God's grace is sufficient for him and that, and his power is made perfect in Paul's weakness. And so he boasts all the more gladly in his weakness. So I think, man, that if we want to see what's, what happens in acts, if we want to see that in our community, then I think that's where it starts is this radical dependency um, on the spirit, this humility before God's word and before him, this love and community with one another and being a part of that together. Um, I think that's when we see in Acts 2, all of those things being present is what ends up leading to them being in awe. Like they're constantly in awe and wonder at what God is doing and people are being added to their number day by day. Yeah, it's something that people wanted in on as they saw what God was doing. And I love love that humility and love as expressed in prayer. For each other. And I, I really think if we're thinking really practically, someone thinking, how do we see more and more of this? You've shared some stories, you know, um, of how God is doing acts like things right now among us, because he is. If we want more of that, I really think one of the most practical and basic things we need to do is ask him for it together. And to ask other people, would you pray that I could see in my life 
how God is working. How is he active right now? How is the kingdom near me right now? Because he'll show you. We need to ask him. And I think asking together is an expression of what you just described, Jay. It's saying we can't make this happen. We don't have the power to make this happen. Mm-hmm. We're, we're limited and finite, but he does. And because we love each other, we'll pray for each other. To me, it's one of the most basic things we can do, but the most powerful as well. Yeah, it is. And and I hope, um, I don't know, I'm really, I'm hopeful that with what we've seen in the church, I, I'm hoping that that continues on, obviously. And, um, and, you know, I still have a burden that we would develop even deeper community. And like you said, we've seen a lot of incredible things happen. People are doing this or living this out. Um, they're experiencing these things. I'm excited for people to hear more of those stories and for that to become more normal. Um, and, and just want to encourage people to just dive into that more and more. Like don't whenever, and that's one of the things that happens when I say, when I bring up any of this, um, you know, people sometimes will say like, well, are you saying those things aren't happening? Are you saying we're not doing any of that? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, why would you not want more of that? Like, why would you not? If you have been experiencing God's miraculous works, like nobody, I've never met anybody who says, you know what? I've seen God work enough. I'm good this week. I don't need any more of that. If you're, if you ever do say that, that's probably not a great indicator that you're actually tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Like the, the desire is always more. That's, that's the one thing that we should always want more and more of, that there's not like a contentment with a certain amount. It's like, no, I want to see God work more. I want to see him move more. So that's our desire as a church. We want to help you do that. So if you have questions or if you have suggestions of how we can help you navigate that, like please don't hesitate to ask us. You can email us at faith or connect at faithpeshtigo.com or you can call us or talk to us on a Sunday. Uh, we'd love to talk with you and get you connected with people who will encourage you to follow Jesus. So thank you for listening and until next time, grace and peace. Yeah.